We are excited to introduce our next guest, Caroline Van Overmeyer. She currently works full-time at Dentsu Aegis as their EMEA Director for Talent, Leadership, and OD. Caroline is the founder of Ephra Consult and is a trained psychologist and coach. Today, we have the privilege of getting to know the woman behind these different work personas. Titles aside, she's also known as Caro, who has a clear passion for people, whether it be in the workplace or in the charities she supports. But ultimately, she looks forward to spending time with her husband and driving her son to football practice. So without further ado, here to provide insight on her journey up to this point and how employees can stay on top of their game with purpose and with feedback, I want to welcome Caroline to our podcast today. Caroline, it's great to have you with us. And thank you for having me. I'm excited. I look forward to our conversation today. You know, maybe just to start, I, I gave kind of the broad bio, but tell us a little bit about your background, you know, where you're from, what brought you to where you are in your professional life right now. Well, you will quickly pick up on my accent. I speak Flanglish. I am a Belgian, but I have been living and working in the UK for almost 20 years now. Yeah, I should say I'm Brexit ready because I'm holding both a British and Belgian passport now. I crossed the channel 20 years ago, and that was thanks to ENY Human Capital Solutions. And I was really the lucky one to be asked to set up the business for them in the UK. Lots of challenges, even I have to say right from the first week uh, upon arrival because the person who brokered the deal was made redundant and uh, so um, I had to build the business case for what I was asked to come to do first and foremost and I felt also very responsible to make this happen because I had actually convinced my boyfriend who is now my husband to come over with me to London. I couldn't believe that he was still proposing to me after that time that he went through <laughs> with me. We, we actually successfully managed to grow um, a multi-million pound talent management business with a, with a very healthy double-digit EBITDA. And it's still going strong actually today because my successor has been in charge and done that superbly till his retirement very recently. So you, you got the assignment, you thought how lucky you were to get to go to the UK, and then a week later they said, now tell us why you should be doing this again. <laughs> exactly. To make the case all over. And, and then I have to say the divide that we sometimes feel nowadays with Brexit was already alive 20 years ago because I was referred to as the European, the continental, and uh, they, they're quite right. You know, the Anglo-Saxon business model is, is you know, it's got similarities, but it's, it's sometimes also vastly different on how uh, business is done. And you can't just cut and paste and, and merely translate, you know, you have to really think it through more in a wholeheartedly new business model. But luckily, I didn't realize it at the time when I said yes to this opportunity. But uh, as I said, I hold both passports now. So I thought of yeah. coming here for three years, but they can't get rid of me anymore. You I must have it liked much. it. Yeah, if you've been there for 20 <laughs> years and wanted to get the British passport as well, you you clearly you, you've enjoyed your time there and relished the challenges that I think uh, sounds like you faced as you got that off the ground. So if I understand right, you also have set up your own business as well. Can you tell us about that business, what it is and what you do? Yeah, I indeed founded Afra Consult. That was about five years ago. It operates as a collective of people with really shared beliefs uh, around HR and business. 
It was also a bit my cure to my midlife crisis. I'm not really ashamed to admit either that I needed the full 40 years to have the confidence to say to myself from here onwards, I'm going to practice HR really in the way I believe it should be done. Um, so that means rather uncompromising. And to, to my surprise, when I shared what these beliefs were, that I really held very dearly uh, around HR and business. I was surprised how it resonated with fellow, well, let me call them outsiders in HR and also with business leaders. And by the way, the name Ephra is the river where my house is built on. And uh, what we basically do, uh, we go into the undercurrent also of individuals and teams and organizations to make them successful and happy. I like that image to take the river and apply that to your work as well. So a midlife crisis, and what do you do? Start a new business. That, I'm sure, uh, kept you quite busy. You mentioned how your uncompromising beliefs resonated with fellow outsiders in HR. But what do you mean by outsiders? I would say um, that HR is not necessarily always experienced as a very commercial function. And I love business. And I'm also very fond of people. And interestingly, I'm not always getting that impression for people in HR either. This might be a big generalization. But for me, HR really is about doing all things people to boost business performance. Mm. And um, shall I share a little anecdote? I had a senior executive that once said to me that I was wasted in HR. And uh, I think he was referencing to my commercial approach and I, I felt a little offended, though I knew the person meant it as a compliment. And I, I was really sad because I realized what a long mission we collectively has as, as an HR community to be seen for what we truly are. And what we are, in my view, are experts on managing a core asset. And, and I think for most businesses, that's even representing the core asset because it's also the biggest cost on the balance sheet. So I, I'm thinking if you don't put a commercial thinking person in that role, then the business executive who actually appoints you is all but commercial. So in a way, the irony isn't lost on me. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. You said it took you 40 years to really have that confidence in the way you wanted to practice HR. So I, I want to learn more too about these uncompromising beliefs that you've mm -hmm. developed over your years <laughs> inside of HR. What are some of the principles and, and these beliefs that you've developed in your consulting? Yeah, well, so from my previous answer, you gather probably that I'm absolutely madly in love with business and I'm also very fond of people. But what I really see in most businesses that they really would flourish even more from actually doing an HR detox. What I mean by an HR detox is a declutter exercise, throwing out all the unnecessary process. You could call it doing a Marie Kondo, right? <laughs> um, and um, for me, that goes hand in hand with another belief that I hold dearly. That is, um, what we do is not rocket science, right? Yeah. As a matter of fact, all we really simply need to do is putting common sense into common practice. We, of course, need to simplify, but uh, simplification is to me not the same as simplicity. Uh, and that is, is linked to another belief that I have, and is that some things indeed need to be simplified, but we should be in no illusion that ultimately you are dealing with something very complex. 
And I like it, actually. That's the fun of it, right? To embrace all that richness uh, rather than throwing out the baby with the bathwater under the pretense of keeping things simple. So therefore, I think what we as HR people should always do is asking why questions. Why are we doing things, right? What are yeah. we trying to achieve here? What, what What is the output ultimately? By the way, that's another one. I feel that we sometimes are too input rather than output focused. So I really believe we get also more satisfaction and, and the feeling of what we do that matters by really delivering a concrete output. And I think that will give us personal purpose, but I think that will also help our brand. And no one will question anymore why we need to have that seat around the table. So to sum it up, if you really bring it down to what this HR needs to do, it's securing the engagement of people. And I think if you throw in too much process, what you're basically doing is the polar opposite. You're alienating people from the deep connection that they could have with the work they do. Having those employees be engaged is absolutely critical. I agree with you. As you were talking about simplicity, I was reminded of one of my wife's favorite sayings. She uses it to describe me sometimes. Uh, she says that <laughs> it's simple, but not easy. Something yeah. can be simple, but it doesn't make it easy to do yeah. or to achieve. So it seems like you have a lot on your plate. You're you're a director at Ephra Consult, but you're also working full-time at Dan. You're a mother and a wife, and I'm sure you're just, you've got a lot on your plate. How do you keep all of that going? How do you keep all of those balls in the air as you juggle them? Well, first of all, um, all the roles uh, I'm fulfilling really are actually giving me energy. I feel really blessed. Um, and at the same time, I think they make me more balanced and uh, likely also more bearable because I think if I only could concentrate on one of them, I think I'm pretty intense. Um, so I, I want to acknowledge uh, Densuages Network because it takes a lot of courage for a company to trust an employee uh, to also contractually agree that they continue a business. They are obviously operating from a real abundancy mindset, right? And that they are very skillful systemic thinkers. They immediately could see the benefit of uh, allowing me to keep my skills relevant through also um, being involved in other businesses and thinking with them of their challenges and their opportunities, which then maybe eventually become relevant to them too. Mm-hmm. So when Learning Bridge started collaborating with you, it was on a program. Can you explain that program? Tell us its name and maybe what it's about. Yeah, sure. It's called, um, it's a mouthful, Leading in the Digital Economy. Um, uh, we started five years ago. So we're in the fifth cohort, um, it's got approximately about 40 participants. And all of them being high potential, high performing individuals who are in mission critical and business critical roles uh, or successors to these roles and are all client facing. And um, the learning experience is really built around uh, three core contents. First of all, the, the leading self. And um, we borrow an analogy here from Hyper Island, which uh, we collaborate with them as we do with Learning Bridge um, on, on this program. And they always say, you know, think of a plane when they explain to you the oxygen mask, right? You have to first help yourself before you can help others. And I really think that's right. That's leading self, uh, leading yourself first. Becoming a great leader is so important before you can uh, actually be a great leader uh, to, to others. So self-awareness, maturing, 
on your uh, personal leadership journey, uh, therefore, is for us very fundamental to the program. And that's why we make use of the 360 uh, True Learning Bridge and also the coaching to enable that uh, level of self-awareness uh, coming through. And then apart from leading self, uh, we also have two more pillars. So the second one is then building on from that leading others. And that's not just in the, the, the formal sense of leading direct reports, but more in the sense of a, a networked organization uh, where you lead uh, people in programs or projects or where you basically lead through influence, not control. The analogy that I always use for this is the Hollywood model, because in Hollywood, you know, basically people come together to make a movie, right? That's their project. Mm -hmm. And once that's done, they move on to do bigger and greater things. And, and I think that's also how we should uh, read how we engage people um, through business projects, right? So some projects last a few months, others you need to engage people for a number of years, right? And um, the inspiration that I had for that was an article that I read uh, five years ago, and it was talking about 2020, which I realize we're now. And it, it did say at the time, 50% of the workforce will be flexible. And if you don't operate in a project-based manner, right, then um, you have to make sure that people can operate more in an influencing rather than a controlling style because yeah. there will be lots of processes automated and therefore at times all we need will be the super specialized skills which we don't need all the time so uh, leading others is not just the people that are just on the payroll directly reporting into you they're all people with various levels of types of in engagement and involvement with the business that you ultimately need to have super engaged around the project uh, that you're leading uh, last but not least is also, of course, about leading clients, because in, in my humble view, I truly believe that employee and client centricity really goes hand in hand. By the way, at Densu, someone said the potential of our people is the potential of our business. And I think that's an even more eloquent way of saying yeah. uh, employee and client centricity goes hand in hand. And ultimately, all we do in that program is ultimately also leading, therefore, clients and ourselves through change and innovation. I love it. You talk about the important concept, the second pillar of leading others. And, you know, it's really true that it's not just in a work environment that we need to lead others, but we may have different networks in a neighborhood or in a family setting where we have to lead others, not through direct orders or a direct reporting mm -hmm. relationship, but yeah. through influence, right? And mm -hmm. persuasion. Mm -hmm. And yeah. so those skills can apply in, in lots of different settings in our own lives, both professionally and personally. So it sounds like really a, a fantastic leadership development program. Are there some parts of it that, that are unique or unusual that you might not see elsewhere? Well, first of all, I think the setup might be a little bit unusual. And before people thinking this is a sales pitch, I honestly, hand on heart, can say that I'm super grateful to both Learning Bridge and Hyper Island, my two partners that we're working with on this program, because they uh, really never showed up as a classic supplier. And we really uh, work together as, as co-creators in the design, in the delivery, and also in the continuous improvement through the various iterations because wouldn't it be ironic if we say leading through change and we keep you know all the content and the concept the format exactly the same that that you know that's not that's not the case of course um so other collaborators that are also part of that ecosystem are the coaches and program facilitators um, and we have also um, internal and external speakers and we actually don't call them speakers we call them igniters and 
And actually, we carefully choose actually the language we use as well for the different elements, because we really believe that it reinforces the, the learning experience. And um, leading in the digital economy, therefore, um, and it's, it's like a running joke amongst us, uh, anyone who dares to refer to it as a program needs to give a pound to charity. Um, it can be also a dollar. Um, um, because we really want it to be a, a learning journey, an experience. So yes, it's got a programmatic component to it, but we truly genuinely believe if participants reduce the interactions to just turning up to, to our learning sessions, by the way, not webinars, but learning sessions, right? Okay, uh, they, yeah. they will not get half of the learning that they could have. And we have um, all the people who gone through it, who, who stay connected with one another, who elect future participants, who uh, stay connected with the igniters, with the mentors, with the tools, the content uh, from Learning Bridge, uh, from Hyper Island. And through the program, ultimately, what we want them to do, um, and I said program, so I own a pound of ah, charity. Yeah, um, I just, I just noticed. Um, fundamentally, we really hope that they learn to discover how they best learn and, and just being able and learn how to stay sane and healthy and happy leaders and human beings, I think is, is ultimately the objective uh, of our learning experience. Absolutely. Hey everyone, I wanted to interrupt today's episode for just a minute to talk to you a little bit about feedback. We're in the middle of the podcast, Simply Feedback. And as you know, that's all about helping people to use feedback to make the most of their careers and lives. Over the years we've been doing this, we've gotten a lot of questions about feedback. And I wanted to tell you, we've created a series of short videos that answer the various questions that we've received. To get to these videos, go to learningbridge.com tips. You can watch the first three videos that explain the four types of feedback that people give and how to act on each type. Then, while you're there at learningbridge.com tips, go ahead and subscribe to receive a short video each week, usually around two minutes long, that will teach you or remind you of different principles to make the most of feedback so that it works for you. Again, you can find these free videos at learningbridge.com tips and even share the tips with others. Check them out one more time. That's learningbridge.com tips and subscribe for the weekly updates. And now let's get back to today's episode. So, Caroline, you mentioned earlier as you were describing the learning journey, L-I-T-D-E, you mentioned that it is also something that changes as you get feedback from participants and from those who are part of the program. And it sounds like you added a unique twist into the program with some yoga. Can you tell us a little bit about that experience? Yeah, that's right. We added yoga. It was actually introduced by one of the participants. He's a trained yoga teacher. And by going through the experience, it inspired him to create what he calls now desk yoga. And, and we literally did it. We did yoga at our desk during one of our live sessions. And actually, the, the senior executive who was one of the igniters in that module took part as well. And we used this to, to expose people's reaction to change. 
because when we did the desk yoga, some immediately embraced it. They loved it. You could tell, right? Because we mm -hmm. always have our cameras on, you know, so everyone sees one another, right? That's also yeah. to, to have the connection. Others you could see were very hesitant. And others you could tell as well that they were looking around a little bit on an influence on what others were thinking, right? Mm -hmm. uh, by seeing them doing like these unusual moves at their desk. And all ultimately learned how important it is to come out of your comfort zone and get into a learning zone and to embrace something new, something unusual, you know, a new inside, a new mindset, right? Which ultimately then helps you to be the best you can be. So uh, if anything, after that, we absolutely ensured that all participants uh, were never feeling comfortable from that point anymore and always operated in their learning zone. So yeah, we continued doing desk yoga. That's where the growth occurs when you're out of that comfort zone, right? And into the learning zone. Even that senior executive was able to have uh, probably a little bit of discomfort during that experience to take part in the desk yoga. That's fantastic. Oh, yeah. He didn't know what was happening. <laughs> no, you know, you could see it on his nonverbal communication as well. Was looking at me as well on... You didn't tell me that would happen. What do I do now? But surprise. Yeah, um, surprise indeed. But I love how you took feedback from participants and were able to incorporate that into the learning experience. Tell us a little bit about other ways that you've used feedback, not only to create the learning experience, but how are you using feedback to measure success of leading in the digital economy? Yeah, thank you for asking that. Yeah, we're not just satisfied with the instant feedback, like the big thumbs up at the end of each uh, live session. And yes, we're very proud, of course, to say we have triple attendance rates on virtual learning sessions compared to the industry standards. And, and yes, we do still have 100% endorsement ratings at the end of the six-month uh, learning experience. But, but we want more. We want to really measure real personal growth. We want to see higher engagement scores with their teams. We want to see increased revenues uh, and margins and, and client satisfaction. And that is why we are first ensuring through the onboarding sessions that, that are happening before the formal kickoff of the learning experience that participants are really understanding uh, that what they put in into the learning experience, they will get out. So they need to really create and prioritize attending learning sessions and, and ensuring that they consciously apply uh, these insights in their day-to-day -day jobs. So hence, we use the 360 upfront to really refine these learning objectives, uh, which were first agreed and, and the rationale why they were chosen or endorsed to attend the learning experience. And this in itself helps also to ensure that the line leader is fully endorsing that they make time for their learning or anticipate participate, uh, for instance, uh, projects where they would be able to apply the learning. And, and if they don't, we encourage and support the participant too to be that positive change agent and help their own uh, line leader to mature on their very own mm. leadership journey in that regard. So we also check in how much of the learning, for instance, they shared with colleagues. And in order to support that, we also have created a learning site and it contains all the content the participants are exposed to and are playing with or 
about the homework uh, or the reflections uh, that they made as well. So in that sense, the feedback and the learning and the insights and that they have as well, we all give back and share. And finally, we ask if any of the pitches or the client delivery projects were influenced by being part of the learning experience. And we, we have numerous examples, actually, where this has been the case. For instance, we were the first movers regarding sponsoring of the Fortnite e-gaming tournament in one um, oh, wow. of our uh, European uh, markets as a result of the of the learning experience. And, and another example is um, one of our participants actually presented a business case to set up a consulting business within one of our markets. And it turns out that that is one of the most profitable parts of that market now. So we are very, very proud of that. And also, realistically, you know, in times of cost cutting, which we have experienced as well, uh, the funding for, for attending this program was always ring fenced and protected. And I think that means a lot. So we, we see this as feedback from the business. Um, yeah, they put their money uh, where their mouth is there. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> and then, of course, you know, the biggest endorsement and feedback you get from alumni right? Uh, alumni that you see, you know, being promoted to take on bigger critical roles and that they are also sending their own um, Hollywood collaborators, right, I should say, yeah. uh, as, as future participants. So recently we've been asked as well, because this is a, you know, I have an EMEA responsibility. I've been asked as well by our global brands to broaden the scope and to allow them as well. So we soon will have the challenge of uh, operating across different time zones as well. Um, we take that as a compliment. And for all these reasons, we are very proud that that ecosystem has managed to achieve that powerful learning experience. It's amazing how feedback can come in a lot of different ways, and you listed a, a, several of them, but knowing that the funding for the program continues, it's protected from cost cutting, knowing that they're asking, the business is asking you to grow the program, to expand it beyond um, Europe into other parts of the world is really, like you say, it's a compliment and um, it's probably something that you should feel really good about as you receive that kind of feedback for the program. Well, thank you. And as I said as well, it's uh, it's the ecosystem. If I would have designed this five years ago, I know it would have never come to what it is now. So you constantly need feedback because you need the input from others to, to broaden your own horizon. So I'm a big advocate of different sources of input, welcoming, embracing feedback. At the end of each uh, cohort, all the members of the ecosystem give feedback. And the feedback isn't always about what went well. The feedback back is, hey, how could we make this even better? Right. Um, and I generally think that is what made it what it is today and why it has remained its relevance in, in a context that has vastly changed. So yeah, I'm very happy about it, very proud of it as well. But at the same time, very humbled to realize this is not something you achieve on your own whatsoever. Sure. Well, Caroline, it has been a, my pleasure to get to know you and get to know a little bit more about what you're involved in, in particular with this program. But I've thoroughly enjoyed the conversation. Thanks so much for your time and for the ideas and thoughts that you've shared with us today. I appreciate it. It was a super privilege. Thank you so much for having me. 